uh, last Sunday for Lent. What is a Lent? Lent means spring. Just like a spring awakens nature from winter's hibernation, we want a Lent, the 40 days of reflecting on redemptive suffering of our Lord to arouse our life in Christ. Someone said Lent is a timely transition from joy of a Christmas tide to the mission of a Christ. By the way, do you know the mission of a Christ? When you look at the public ministry of Jesus, Jesus did three things primarily. One is preaching the gospel. Two, healing the sick people, including demon-possessed people. Three, training disciples. And uh, as a time went on, Jesus' main ministry became a discipleship. So real focus of a ministry is a discipleship. Of course, he came to usher the kingdom of God to us. But how did Jesus build the kingdom of God? It's not with a crowd, with always core committed people. And that is a discipleship. And the Matthew 18, uh, 28, the last word of Jesus to us, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, what we call a great commission, Jesus said, go every part of the world and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything that I taught you. Lo and behold, I'm with you until this commission is done. Right? So church is all about discipleship. The main ministry of church is a discipleship. If a church is not committed to the discipleship, that church is no longer church of Christ. It is a religious institution. We don't want to be just busy bodies with our own religious interest. We want to be body of Christ. By the way, last week I introduced one very good book, uh, easy to read book, uh, relating to uh, Lent, uh, written by Kyle Eidelman. Uh, not a fan, but uh, you know, becoming a fully committed uh, follower of Christ. Today, I want to introduce another book. This is a more classic book, and I hope someday you, know, you have time to read. It's a book called uh, Master Plan of Evangelism, written by Robert Coleman. This is a very thin book, very uh, little over 100 pages, but densely biblical. This book traces Jesus' public ministry, and then shows us Jesus' ministry is all about uh, discipleship. Now, Disciple, what is a disciple? Last time we said disciple is a student, a learner, right? And the ancient way of learning is you find the master and you follow the master. Those of you like a kung fu movie, that explains. You find this master in the mountain and then for three years you do nothing but a manual chores and one day the master said, do this and do that and then, you know, that's how you become a master, right? And... Uh, now, I wanted to really re-emphasize this importance of a Christian is a follower of Christ. Because North American evangelical churches, we overemphasize on believing. For us, to be a Christian means you believe in Jesus as a Savior. Yes, that is correct. But you know, biblical 
Christianity is far more than believing in Jesus. You believe as a result of that, you follow. So believing without following, it's like uh, almost faith without works. It's like uh, dating a girl without getting married to. It's, it's not really serious. It's a superficial. So we've been meditating on the theme of discipleship. That means of really becoming followers of a fully devoted followers of Christ. So last week we saw Jesus calling of Peter. We call it surprise catch, right? Today we will see scandalous calling of Jesus. It's a more than a surprising, it's a scandalous, as you will see. And here we'll see Jesus calling very unlikely person to follow him. Story comes from Luke chapter 2, like Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 32. And then just as our custom, let's read responsibly. So I'm going to read first. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but Okay. Today's text tells us three radical truths about the gospel, which show us that why you and I can follow Jesus confidently and completely with all of our hearts and minds and soul. So three questions we're going to ask is, who and where Jesus called this person? And number two, what did Jesus ask him to do? And number three, how Jesus explain this uh, scandalous calling. So first thing we're going to look at is a scandalous candidate. Scandalous candidate. Who did Jesus call today? If you look at the verse 27. A tax collector. A tax collector. By the way, he was uh, sitting at the tax booth. So let me give you a little example, a little background. So Levi he was a tall tax collector. And the, the location is a Galilee. And Galilee, there's an international trade route. That means there's a busy traffic of international traders and local traders. And the, your job is a collecting tax from those who travel your road. It's like a, a custom agent. When you come through the airport, agent check, what did you bring in? And then in case you bring some expensive stuff, you have to pay tax on that, right? That's what is it doing. Now, let me explain briefly about tax collecting in Roman Empire back then. Romans were master conquerors and the super smart colonizers. If a Greeks knew philosophy and the thinking, Romans knew bureaucrats, bureaucracy and governing. They knew that collecting taxes is very critical in maintaining their empire. At the same time, they knew collecting tax was very unpopular. 
they are already bad guys. They already conquered and, you know, brutalized these people. So, what's their solution about the collecting taxes? They made a locals to collect the taxes on their behalf. That's a very clever move. Actually, others follow the same suit. For instance, World War II, not, you know, uh, Nazis made a French fish government to, to do the dirty job in France. And uh, also, Japanese, during the World War II, they hired Koreans to be the guards for the pre-POWs. And a lot of American GIs, they, they, they hated the Korean guards because they were so brutal. And they, they didn't know the difference between Korean and Japanese, but anyway, they hated the Koreans. And in this case, Levi was a Jewish collaborator and trader. Now, where did Jesus call this Levi? At his work, right? At his work. He was not at the temple repenting of his sin, or he was, you know, at the synagogue, you know, uh, uh, amazed by Jesus' teaching. He was doing the dirty jobs, and Jesus called him. Now, to help us to understand how radical, scandalous this calling of Jesus for Levi to follow him. Let me explain a little bit about uh, how uh, someone followed the Levi back then. Let me tell you a little bit about Jewish education in first century. We fortunately, uh, the Mishnah, you know, Jewish uh, uh, in interpretation and history of the law give us this information. So Jewish young boys and girls, they go to elementary school at the age of five. And they, that's where they memorize and learn to read and sometimes write the Torah, the law. And the age of 10, girls go back, uh, girls return home and their education is done. And then boys continue. Boys continue into the uh, secondary education. And then next, you know, uh, sometime three years, sometime five years, they study the next level which is the uh, uh, Mishnah and, uh, yeah, Mishnah, the, the oral interpretation. And then starting from 18, those who really, really like to study the law and uh, want to, they have intention of becoming a rabbi, the professional teacher, they now start studying Talmud and they're searching for great rabbi to go and learn. And they carefully select a rabbi because next 10 years, you have to give a total commitment to that rabbi. It's not like you going to school 8 to 5. It's going 24-7. Uh, you are living with the rabbi and you are observing in every detail how the rabbi behaves and then respond and then you basically learning this, you know, learning the Torah and Talmud and Mishnah and all these things. On top of that, you are learning, you are learning how to be a rabbi. This is a ten years of extreme, extreme education, intense education and commitment. And then, age of thirty, you become your own rabbi. And back then. Is students who, many students who asked the rabbi to accept them, 
and um, many of them don't get in. It's a very, very rare. Actually, rabbis went out and um, bring the student because they are already a hot demand. So do you get that? Today, Matthew didn't ask Jesus to accept him as his follower. It was Jesus who invited Matthew to come into you know, his discipleship. And usually when rabbis went out, they went out to get the most brilliant, smart, promising, for sure kind of a star rabbi of the future. Okay, let me give you some modern analogy of this from very crude analogy. When I applied to PhD at Baylor Religion Department graduate school, 200 students applied. We already have a Master of Divinity or Master of Theology. In my case, I had two masters. I had a both great, great grades and the GRE score, you name it, everything. We applied. Out of 200, guess how many they accepted? Only 10. 5%. Very selective admission. Why? Tuition is free. On top of that, they give us a living stipend. So, you know, universities, PhD students are their investment. Undergrad students are their asset. That's their income, their revenue. They love the undergraduate. They want to expand undergraduate or, you know, master program, you know, because that's, that's, that's the cash cow. Whereas a PhD is all, you know, money going out. So it's an investment for the school's academic reputation. They are very selective. So 10 of us made it. And the first day in orientation, this is what they told us. The statistic-wise, 30% of you will not make it, will not finish the program. And then of those who finish completed PhD, only half of you will get a job. <laughs> and then those of you who get a job, your starting salary will be lower than undergraduate graduate. This is what you are you know, looking at. And for this, you have to give eight years of your life. Welcome to PhD program. And amazingly, we are all you know, fired up. Because what a great honor have a PhD and the train the future pastors in seminaries and whatever, you know, prepare the young mind, influence the young mind. It's not a pay, it is a mission. Now, that is uh, you know, similar to what rabbinic training is. But today, can you see how radical Jesus calling of a uh, Levi. It's like a Harvard PhD program director went to a, this a high school dropout and said that we want you to be in our program. We want to pay for everything. We'll take care of you. Would you join us, please? Yeah. This is a scandalous, scandalous calling. By the way, his name Levi shows us uh, several things. That means he's a tribal Levi. And as you know, tribal Levi is a tribe of priests. Mark said that his father's name is Alphaeus. So his father, Levi's father, Alphaeus, when, the, when they had a you know, son, they named him Levi. Wishing what? You be the true Levi of a Levi. You be a faithful you know, priest of God 
which is our tribe, which is our legacy, which is our identity, and be a great, great, faithful priest of God. And then he became what? Traitor and tax collector. Can you imagine the heartbrokenness of the parents? And the lesson that we see from here is this. The Jesus calling of a Levi to be his disciple shows us no one is beyond the hope. No one is beyond the hope. I'm sure that most people in Capernaum, in this town, had given up on Levi. The good religious people of the city snubbed him as they passed by and wrote him off as a lost cause. However, Jesus knew his life could be redeemed. Jesus loved Levi in spite of his past and his problems. And he delivered Levi from bondage of sin and gave him a new life. No one is beyond the reach of our redeeming Lord. Amen? And also, this also is, gives a great hope to the parents if you have a lost child, spiritually lost child. Because even though you don't, I mean, by now, Levi is making a lot of money, he's already adult, and the parents, you know, their words is no, you know, has no influence on him. But guess what? God is still can change his heart. So in the name of Christ, you cry out your child to God, your lost child to God, and time comes, he will get you. Uh, to give you hope, let me ask you, guess who said this word? The famous Christian made this comment. I have been all things unholy. If God can work through me, he can work through anyone. Guess who said this? Of course, you don't know. But guess who said this? This was confession and encouragement of Francis of Assisi, one of the greatest medieval saints. And if you know uh, Francis of Assisi, before he uh, became a follower of Christ, he was a rotten, rich, spoiled bread, son of a rich Italian merchant. And then he went to the war, got in, you know, became a POW, and then so forth, and he became. So Francis of Assisi said, God can redeem anybody. God can use anybody. And Jesus sees the hidden potential in the life of a lost. And Jesus saw something in Levi that no one else could ever see. So what does that tell us? We don't have that insight of Jesus into the people. But we know God loves every lost person. So what do we do? We just invite them to, to, to our house church. By the way, those of new in our church, we have a two primary ministries in our church. One is a small group ministry called the house churches. And the other one is an adult Bible study or discipleship curriculum called the Kushapra College. So we have... A, uh, Bible studies, sequential Bible studies. So we encourage people to join. So we invite the people to house church in and out of season. And you never know when people will respond. Now, that's the uh, first thing. The scandalous candidate. Jesus called not a good Jew, Jewish young man, 
but a rotten tax collector to be his disciple. Okay? The second thing of today's story is that what about the what did Jesus ask him to do? Strange call. I call it this is Jesus' invitation, a strange call. Because Jesus told him, follow me. Follow me. This invitation is strange and scandalous at the same time because no rabbis in his story ever put himself as an object of a following. Rabbis usually say, follow the Mosaic law. Follow the Moses. I will help you to follow Moses better. I just briefly, I want to talk about this uh, uh, Greek word for follow. Greek word, Greek word for follow is very interesting. Greek word for follow is uh, akulotheo. Akulotheo. It's a compound word. A plus a kulotheo. Kulotheo. Kolotheo is a road. Those of you who know a little bit about Greek, in Greek, anytime you put affix, you know, prefix a in front of a word, what happens? It negate, negates. It reverses the meaning. Moral, you put a, amoral, it's like immoral. Theist, you put a, atheist. So, you know, pathosuffering, you put a, apathy, you know, apathetic. So, akuleo means no road. You following. Following in Greek means no road. What does it mean? Following someone is not something logical, something predictable, something you see, but something unpredictable. Something you have to trust and obey. Something is not logical, but something personal. It's not a head issue. It is a heart issue. I've been saying this last week, last week, you know, discipleship about catching the heart of God more than being taught or learning about God. You really knowing God's heart. That is a discipleship. And when Jesus said, follow me, you know what Jesus is saying? It's like a shepherd is a, you know, saying the sheep, you follow me, I'll take care of you. You know, this is not something that not many people can say. I cannot tell you know, Sean to Sean Parker to follow me. And Sean say, yes, sir, I'll follow you. I said, oh, Sean, I was just checking. <laughs> because I have to be responsible for Sean Parker. And uh, I know, you know, Sean has a very expensive taste. So I cannot take care of him. <laughs> Melissa can take, but I cannot take care of him. So when you tell somebody to follow me, it means I'll go with you. I'll be with you. You can count on me. We're going journey together. That's what it means to follow me. And Jesus gave this incredible blessing to Levi. Levi, you are no longer following that money. You are no longer you know, following whatever your, your very selfish dream. You already done it. Does it satisfy you? You know it. But from now on, you follow me. You will live a life in the different, different dimension. And this follow me, Jesus follow me, it, it has a, it, it repeats everywhere in the Bible. Let me just give you a few others. So, for instance, uh, uh, so 
let me, uh, I'm sorry. Today's actually story, uh, today's story starts after this, right? What does it mean after this? Today's verse, you know, uh, 27, after this. Jesus went by and then saw the Levi, right? What is after this? If you look at the Luke chapter 5, 17 to 26, the preceding story is this. Jesus was at somebody's house and they were so crowded and there was a friend who wanted to bring their paralyzed friend to bring to Jesus for Jesus to heal him. But because of so many people, you know, blocking the way, what did they do? They went up to the roof and they broke the roof and they lowered their friend, friend in front of Jesus and seeing the faith of a friend, what did Jesus say? Those of you reading the Bible, be healed. Yes, your sins are forgiven. And when Jesus said that Pharisees and all other religious leaders, only God can say, how can he say something like that? Because no rabbi ever said that, I forgive your sin or your sins are forgiven. And Jesus said that. And then Jesus said, what? Which one is easier? Just to give him this absurd in you know, a lip service, but actually heal him. And then Jesus healed him and proved this word has a power. Over and over again, Jesus in the Bible is a more than rabbi. Those of you know Matthew eleven twenty eight. Let me let me let me bring another another passage. Jesus said, "Come to me, all who are you weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke." Upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in the heart, and you will find the rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. No rabbi ever promised to give a rest to his, his, his students. That only God can give a rest and peace. Jesus said, Come to me. Do you know how radical the invitation is? And then the word, my yoke and my burden, my yoke and my burden. The yoke and burden is a very common rabbinic term that, uh, that, that refer to yoke means the law. And burden is a duty to obey the law. And the Jewish rabbis, all they are saying is that, um, I'll help you to bear the yoke with a, my good interpretation, whatever. Jesus said, my yoke, my, you know, take my yoke and take my burden. You know what is Jesus doing? He is claiming ownership and authorship of the law. Who is a lawgiver? Not Moses. Moses just wrote down and he's just a pastor. He's a law pastor. Who is the lawgiver? It's a Yahweh. Jesus is claiming this incredible authorship of the law. In Jewish history, no rabbi has ever done that. So I want you to get this clearly. One who gets this very well clearly is a John, Apostle John, beloved disciple of Jesus. We all know that, you know, John, uh, uh, where is it? Uh, John, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the truth and the life and the way. No one comes to Father except through me, right? The word, the way, I am the way and truth and life. This is all the words that describe the law. Jewish people believe the law is the way, law is the truth, law of God, Torah is the life. That's what Jewish believe. 
Jesus took it out. He said, no, not the law. It's me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You don't come to God through the law, but through me. Jesus is saying that he is. And, and then John, the reason I said John got this is a John. You know, he gave a unique name to Jesus. Unique, you know, uh, nickname. That is a word. You know how Gospel of John began? In the beginning there was a word. Word was with God and the word was God. And then nothing was made without the word. And the word became a flesh and dwelt among us, right? What's the Greek word he used for word? Lagos. Lagos is a heavy Greek term to describe the, the rational creating power or force of a universe. Universe is a rational because of a lagos, the you know, logical force made it the universe. And so what John is saying is this. You know true lagos? It's not some kind of force, it's a Jesus. The real law, Jesus is a living law. Jesus is a living Torah. Jesus is a living wisdom. Jesus is a living you know, power. That's what he's saying. Now, one of the things that I, you know, so I, I want to be, uh, for us to be trying to do is really help people to know Jesus better. So after Cornerstone Bible Study, our first Bible study, we encourage people to go to the next Bible study, Livingstone Bible Study. And this is my commercial for Livingstone Bible Study. It's a biblical Christology. You know, Christians read a Bible, but they don't understand what the Bible is about. To read, you know, it's English, you understand, you don't know squat about the meaning. What is this? You read it, but you don't know the meaning, you don't know it. I mean, you know it, but very superficial. So we go in deeper level. And they, just like H. Richard Niebuhr said, the life of Christ is the most intelligible event that makes all other human events intelligible. You know Jesus, you begin to understand what life is all about. You have to go deeper with Jesus, and that explains how you can overcome your life problem, and the much more how you can make it fruitful and meaningful for you and for others. Now, having said that, I want to say this. I want to bring out one point. I have a great concerns about American event, American Christian Christendom. I think we suffer, just like a political life or our just civic life. We suffer from two these extreme tendencies in Christian life. One is coming from conservative. This is a very you know evangel, very conservative evangelical Christians. They just uh, you know have a this very, uh, they narrow down Jesus into Christ into Jesus. Instead of Christology, they make a, like a Jesusology. And they make everything all about salvation. Nothing but salvation. Just believe in Jesus and you'll be okay. Even though it is a true, believing Jesus will be beginning point, but that's not all about, that's the beginning. Believing Jesus and going to heaven that is just a small part of a Christian life. As you know, Jesus told us that he's a prayer. Told us to, to do this prayer. What is the Lord's prayer? Or disciples' prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth, 
as it is in heaven. Whereas a lot of conservative Christians, gospel of Jesus, they reduced to sort of a eternal you know, insurance package. You believe Jesus, you die, and you go to heaven and you have eternal vacation, and this world doesn't matter anymore. That is a total false Christianity. That is actually Gnostic heresy, you know, heretic Christianity. Christianity is all about here and now. And as you know, those who have taken special cornerstone, biblical eschatology is a heaven come to earth, not the we going to heaven. We bring the heaven here through Jesus Christ. And now, what about the liberal side? Many liberals, especially mainline churches, and I have to say some of the Roman Catholics, they total reactionary to this very conservative Jesus you know, Christology. To they bring out, oh, that is such a narrow, personal, individualistic Jesus you know, Christology. We want to bring a much bigger social, cosmic you know, Christology. And they are talking about God's love without focusing on Jesus Christ without really, really checking every facet of God's love with the life of Jesus Christ. So they're talking about love. God is just loving everybody. God is in everywhere. It's like a very pantheistic. You know, Roman Catholic, they understand the doctrine of creation better than Christians. Protestants, all about the grace, 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 saving grace. Catholics, they have a little balance. They know the physical creation is also grace of God. They know importance of a common grace. But some of them go way too far in that direction. They think God is in everywhere. God is in, you know, God loves everybody. It's so true. But without Christ, how can you say that? There's a concrete connection you are missing. Once again, H.R. Richard Niebuhr, he defined the you know, liberal Christianity in this way. The God of liberal Christianity is a God without wrath who brought the man without sin into kingdom without judgment through the ministration or ministry of Christ without the cross. You know, it's all about the love of, you know, fatherhood of God and the brotherhood and sister of a man. Very, very love, 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 fluffy love. But there is no cross, there is no suffering, there is no sacrifice. Last Tuesday, I went to do a primary vote. I'm proud of the doing a primary vote. My candidate didn't win. I just say that. But, uh, you know, I understand some young people are following uh, Bernie Sanders. And uh, yes, when Pastor make a, I'm gone a lot, okay. I'll have a one minute political important comment. This is not, a, it's not, it's not about anti, it's not about the Bernie Sanders. You know, wh why people find the uh, Bernie Sanders political vision very troubling? It's actually inspiring. If you've seen some of, I've been seeing some of his speeches, it's very inspiring. He, you know, rarely said, do you know anybody next to you? You know, you don't, you know, you be good to other people that you don't know. That is our movement is about. It's a very, you know, inspiring. You're loving people that you don't know. You know, it sounds like a Bible. It's actually, it's like a, it's a, that's exactly what Jesus is calling us, right? Love, you know, everybody, right? 
even enemies, right? That's what the socialism and communists try to do. Problem of socialism and communism is that they try to do what God told us to do without God's, without God's way, particularly without a sacrifice. They say free tuition for everybody, but who is sacrificing for that? No, rich people pay. No sacrifice. That's why in the socialism and communism never worked. I'm from Venezuela, so I know how it worked. Horribly went wrong. When we try to do God's will in human way, nothing but a disaster is waiting for us. So point is this. Liberals are just like that. They talk about love, 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 but you know to really love others concretely and seriously and sacrificially, you need to know Jesus Christ. Because all coming from Jesus Christ. Once again, conservative, don't think you know Jesus Christ enough. Because if you know Jesus Christ enough, we will, you will, we will all repent and we will all go out and then reach our lost people in many, many ways. Let me bring out quickly to the final, final point and conclusion. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm sorry, we have some newcomers. Usually, my sermon is long. <laughs> but tr today I try to make it a little shorter, but I'm hitting the usual timeline. So give me five more minutes and then let me bring it up. So at the end, verse 29, Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and the large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. According to uh, Pharisees and teachers, they are not just the tax collectors. Tax collect others means sinners. That means prostitutes, criminals, crooks, and everybody. Now, this is a Levi's farewell party. It's a retirement party, self-retirement party. He was saying, I'm saying goodbye to tax collecting. Now I'm following Jesus. And I want you to meet my rabbi, who graciously called me to join him. And then Jesus, this is my friend. And then Jesus is welcoming. And by that, Levi is saying this, I'm done with the making money. Money doesn't, didn't satisfy me. Now I'm going to try Jesus. You are all my witnesses. And then others, his friends, they say, all right, Jesus is OK. Hey, he doesn't mind drinking beer. All right, great, we'll drink. <clears throat> but the scribes and the uh, uh, Pharisees, they are complaining. How can you accept and socialize with this kind of losers? And then verse 31, it, it really blessed me. Jesus said, it is not a healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I'm not, I have not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus saw sin as a sickness and disease. And Jesus called himself physician or doctor. We have uh, several physicians here, doctors and dentists, and nurse practitioners and nurses. Did I miss anyone? Optometrists? When you see sick people, what do you feel? They feel, ah, you, get away from me. You, you, you might have a coronavirus. Is that how you feel? Don't you have a compassion? When doctors see patients, first thing comes out of their heart, I mean, they're, 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 from them is a compassion. Our, this shows that our Savior is a compassionate healer and Savior. 
Jesus said, I can heal anybody. I can make anybody healthy and strong. You follow me, you scribes and Pharisees, you will be also healthy. You don't know how sick you are. And I call, I came to call everyone to repentance. You know what happened to Levi? Who is this Levi? Some of you heard that I call him different names. If you go to Matthew chapter 10, Levi is a Matthew. And uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 2 to 4, listed the 12 disciples, and verse 3, it said, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the Collector. Matthew the Collector. I hope if you have your Bible, underline the Matthew the Collector. Jesus gave uh, Levi a new, new nickname that is a Matthew. And the Matthew is actually Greek version of a Hebrew name, Matthew. So Matthias, that's a uh, you know, Greek word, uh, you know, original Greek text is a Matthias, and we just read in English Matthew. But it actually is a transliteration, Greek transliteration of a Hebrew word, Matthew. And the Matthew came from two words, Matan, Matan, which means a gift, and the Yah, or Yahweh means, Jehovah. So Matthew means gift of Yahweh, gift of Jehovah. Jesus gave a nickname to his disciples. Simon, he called him Peter or Cephas. To Levi, Jesus called what? Matthew. Matthew. Gospel of Mark, just say Matthew, because that's what everybody calls. Luke is a good researcher, so he used the original name, Levi. Matthew, when he described his own name, he said, I'm a Matthew. I'm a gift of God. And then he kind of plays a Jewish humor. And he used to be tax collector. <laughs> this is an incredible Jewish you know, humor, self-effacing Jewish humor. And you know what, actually, it's more than humor. He's proclaiming the gospel. I used to be a tax collector, but by grace of Jesus Christ, I became a gift of God, and I'm the one who wrote this gospel for you. Isn't that amazing? That's the story of discipleship. We follow Jesus. At the end, we find this incredible transforming power, whatever. Tax collecting, whatever horrible, stupid things that we used to do, God will make us into a gift of God. That is a God's promise. Follow me, you will be Matthew. You will be Matthew. People will be happy to have you, just as I love you so much.